Blog Talk Radio. and navigator Robert Batista. The Funky Writer Show has been called the funky eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and little Roddy. Now celebrating over six years of dynamic writer's talk radio. Check me out on Twitter by going to at author R. Batista. Our special guest today, hopefully she's on the line. We've been having some issues, <laughs> and I hope she's okay. Gail, are you there? I am indeed, if you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. I just got your email saying that uh, you were having some issues. Uh, I was saying, wow, man, you must be some kind of jinx. Every time you call, the show is down. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my special superpower. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So, Anyway, our ho- our guest is the prolific author, Gail Z. Martin. Welcome, Gail Martin, to the Funky Writer Show. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Always fun. Always interesting. Gail, it's so good having you back, and it's hard to believe you were last on the show five years ago. Oh, in wow. May of, That's, in <laughs> That's May a lot of books of, ago. Exactly five years ago, in May of 2010, when we discussed your chronicles of the Necromancer trilogy. Uh, And like you said, you've been doing so much since then. Please update our audience on all the things you've been doing since then. Well, sure. Um, The Chronicles of the Necromancer really ended up being um, four books under that title and an additional two books under the Fallen King cycle, so uh, and six books in total. And then I've been working hard on the Ascendant Kingdom Saga series, uh, the Blaine McFadden books for Orbit, and the new book in that series, War of Shadows, just came out last month. Uh, there'll be one more book in that series that'll come out in 2016. I've done uh, the Deadly Curiosity series, which is an urban fantasy series set in Charleston, South Carolina. The first book came out last year, and the new book, Vendetta, will come out in January of 2016. And then uh, there's the Steampunk series that kicks off with Iron and Blood this summer. Um, That is set in an alternative history Pittsburgh in the uh, 1890s. And I'm co-authoring that with my husband, Larry Ann Martin. So... You know, on top of that, there are a bunch of short stories, uh, two different series on uh, ebook, with a new story coming out each month, and oh, 
couple dozen anthologies uh, that I've been in. So it's it's been a very busy five years. <laughs> Ooh-wee. I know you do blogs and other things also. So, wow, prolific isn't the word. You're way beyond that. So, Gail, your passion for ghost stories, vampires, and the supernatural began at a very early age. Urban legend has it that you were weaned on dark shadows and the twilight zone. What do you think it was about these shows that opened up an interest to this genre at such a young age for you? You know, I have no idea why I hooked on to ghost stories and stories about the supernatural so early, but I really did. I mean, you know, the original Dark Shadows TV series was on when I was honestly a preschooler, and I don't know what my mom was thinking, but there I am, this, you know, little four- and five-year-old watching Barnabas Collins and, and werewolves and witches and ghosts, and I just thought it was the best thing ever. And then I got a book when we were on vacation that was a, a, a book of regional ghost stories about the Adirondacks in New York, and, it, you know, it's all the regular ones about, you know, the woman in white who gets in the car and then disappears and all those kinds of stories. I read it till the cover fell off. And I was hooked. <laughs> I, I, you know, I literally did. I read it until the pages fell out of the book. Now, Twilight Zone was, was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And there's some channels now that show it. And I caught one the other night that was just blew me away. Rod Serling was such a genius. But the thing about Dark Shadows, Gail, it, with the crazy thing about Dark Shadows, it came on right after school. It mm-hmm. came on at 4.30 every day, every day. And everybody used to rush home from school and catch it. And like you said, you were like preschool and watching it. Uh, that was the crazy thing, that it was a daytime show, you know, a daytime horror soap opera. And it, it was really wild. But, um, well, it really was a soap opera. You know, it was on right yeah. in with the, you know, my grandmother used to watch As the World Turns and the Edge of Night and all yes. of those. Yes. And Dark yes. Shadows yes. was right in there with them. It's it's just, you know, right they had Right in vampires. there with them. Yeah, yeah, it was a vampire soap opera. How cool was that? I'd love to see something like that happen again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think soap like operas it. have kind of gone the way of, of uh you know, all that stuff, but uh, I did actually get a chance at uh, a convention last year to meet the actresses who played uh, Angelique and um, Josette, and so that was just really cool. Uh, That was a total fangirl moment. Let's talk about your newest novel in the Ascendant Kingdom saga, War of Shadows. Mm -hmm. The cover roars. The lines Thank are drawn. You. The war the war has begun. Where do you take your loyal followers in this story and why the title War of Shadows? Well, you know, this is the third book in Blaine's story and it's a post apocalyptic medieval series. So two major kingdoms fight and do the magical equivalent of mutually assured destruction. They're a little too successful. They they blast each other apart, and they also unexpectedly destroy the ability to control magic, which both of their cultures heavily relies upon. And the only guy who might be able to set it right has just been shipped off to a prison colony in the Arctic. That's what happens in, in Iceforged. Um, and Blaine, of course, is that person 
for a variety of reasons, he decides once you know the war has happened, gets the opportunity to come back to this kingdom that exiled him to try to to fix the magic. And you know, it occurred to me that so many of our fiction stories, there's a war and then it's over, and everybody right. goes back to doing what they did. And, well, you know, the places where the war happened, okay, there's some buildings knocked down. But for everybody else, they just kind of pick up and go on with their lives. Well, that isn't really how it works in real life, and it's not the way it works in the Ascendant Kingdom saga. You've got a kingdom that's really been shattered. The infrastructure's gone. The king and the nobility are gone. Even being able to harness magic again only solves some of the problems. And so... You know, of course, warlords are going to arise, bandits are going to arise, there's there's going to be uh, people who try to take advantage of the anarchy and the chaos, and that's where we find Blaine and his friends in, in book three. Blaine has become a very unwilling warlord, uh, but he doesn't like the thought of what's going to happen if he doesn't step into that role. And so right. he's just trying to clear out the guys who are worse, uh, and so that so that they can stop having these bandit wars, and people can get back to trying to plant some crops and build some farms and and rebuild, and right. uh, things never go as planned. Uh, yes, uh, if they did, we wouldn't have such a great story. So I can understand that, Gail. I admire you, and one of the things I admire you so much is that you seem to have mastered the series, the trilogies, and producing multiple layered stories based on the same character foundations. How hard or easy is it to keep your audience interested in each new installment of the same genre? Well, it's a balancing act because you don't want to leave people on, you know, too many cliffhangers because that does get annoying, and as a reader, I'm not real keen on that either. At the same time, if you wrap it up with too much of a nice bow and wrapping paper, then it's easy for the reader to say, well, I finished that. Um, So kind of taking a cue from what we've learned to expect on TV, if you think about a TV series, each episode – has a story arc, but a whole series, a whole season may have a bigger story arc, and a whole series may have a story arc. Right. Um, especially some of these series that are kind of planned from the beginning. We're going to have five seasons, and this is where we're going to go. And I, I try to take that thought into a multi-book series to say, all right, something big has to happen and be resolved in each book, but there's always tomorrow, there's always work left undone. What are the big things that are going to take four books to resolve? Because there will always be unintended consequences and unexpected complications. Right. On the same note, on that same note, where does Gail Martin find the inspiration to create the freshness and newness and individuality of each book to be able to have each one stand on its own. Because as you said, every TV show is part of a multi-layered series, but every TV show also can stand on its own. And keep the reader captivated. You know, how, how do you walk that fine line? 
Well, you know, if you think about the people we meet in real life, they existed before the moment that we met them, and they'll exist after our conversation with them is over. So Correct. characters are really like that. You know, they if you think of them as being real people instead of uh, fictional constructs, then they've had things going on in their life before the moment at which you point the camera at them to tell a story. And when you turn the camera off and walk away, things will continue to happen to them. Maybe not as interesting things, but, you know, on that same paradigm, they presumably do not just go poof. Um, And so to me, that's kind of how I, I envision the characters, is like people who have a history before I meet them in the book, and will go off and do other things with their lives after I've finished telling their story. But for this this moment, we're going to focus on what they're doing because it matters. Some of your stories on in different anthologies, such as Realms of Imagination and Urban Fantasy Anthology and Spells and Swashbucklers, <laughs> that must be fun for you. How do you choose the stories for the anthology, or in this one, is this done by the producer of the book? Now, you've been in all these anthologies. Uh, how do you choose your story, or are you you know, asked to write something specific? Well, it's kind of funny, because I started doing anthologies, um, honestly, just for fun, and because some friends of mine asked me to be in them. And right. it was a sandbox, because I could play in it. Um, and so usually when you're invited to be in an anthology, they say, here's the, um, here's the theme. We want right. dark fantasy stories, or we want, um, I'm, I'm doing one for a Weird West anthology right now, so it has to be Western period, but something with supernatural or magic. And those are kind of fun because they let me stretch and grow and do some things outside of the main series that I'm working on. But I've been very fortunate in that everything I've started doing for anthologies has had this way of turning into series. So I wrote... <laughs> wow. Well, I've been really, really fortunate. I created this world about... Um, this 600-year-old vampire who worked with an alliance of mortals and immortals to keep dangerous magical items off the market and out of the wrong hands and did it through a number of kind of creepy antique and curio shops. But but they're the good guys. They're trying to get the bad stuff off the market. And um, I invented that because it was really different from my other series, and I, I did that for Rum and Runestones and Spells and Swashbucklers. And then... Solaris Books, who had published my um, Chronicles of the Necromancer series, said, hey, we're doing Magic, the Esoteric, and Arcane. I love this prompt. And we want a story, but it's got to be real magic, not epic fantasy Gandalf kind of magic. Right. So think about that. We want it to be real magic. I I love (laughs) that business. Yeah, I love that. But what they meant is they wanted it to be modern day. So I wrote a modern day story in the world I had already created that I thought was just going to be, hey, this is my plaything for anthologies. And they came back and said, we love your story. Would you do a series? Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so that yeah you're breaking curiosity. up. 
Gail, can you okay. hear me? You're breaking up. Okay. Uh, um, hmm. I'm on the landline and I you, haven't moved. If you can, maybe you can call us back because you're sort of breaking up now. Okay. Can you hear me here? Any better? No, I can't hear you too well. You're breaking up. Can you okay, uh, break the connection right and um, call back? Okay. I'll call you right back. So we're on the air with Gail Z. Martin, and she is basically uh, talking to us about how she deals with her anthology series, and uh, I believe that Gail is back. So I'm back. So go ahead and finish that thought. Oh, sure. Um, so, uh, so that became Deadly Curiosities because Solaris came back to me and said, hey, we really love the story. Uh, can you do a book? Well, yeah, of course I'm going to say yes. And so I've been having a lot of fun with urban fantasy with Deadly Curiosities. And um, really that's, that's how I've done most of my anthology stories is to envision them as episodes in – an ongoing story. So the uh, the Weird West story, the other steampunk stories I've done, all are offshoots of the Iron and Blood universe. Uh, I did get asked to do two space stories uh, for two anthologies this year, and now I'm I'm noodling perhaps a new series uh, around that because I really fell in love with the characters. Uh, the only one-offs I've had is I got asked to do a couple of um, superhero stories, and they're way out right. of my usual stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they were fun to do, and I took them because they were a challenge. And then I did a horror uh, story for The Big Bad 2, and it was kind of a standalone. But uh, most of them feed into the other book series or may become series of their own. It's really been a lot of fun. It, it sounds like you're on just this great ride, and you're having so much fun. And you can even hear it in your voice, you know, how how much fun you're having with all this. Now, on your fantastic AscendantKingdoms.com website, you promote the 2015 Days of the Dead Block Tour. Can Mm -hmm. you give us more information on what this is about? Sure. I do two blog tours a year. Uh, One's coming up in June, right around the solstice, and that's my Hawthorne Moon uh, blog tour, and the name comes from Chronicles of the Necromancer. And then I do another blog tour in the fall, the week leading up to Halloween, that's the Days of the Dead tour. And basically, it's a, a week where I go out to all my friends who are bloggers and podcasters and media folks and say, hey, I... uh, I want to bang some pans together and make some noise this week. Uh, Would you like a guest blog post for me? And I usually end up somewhere on 25 or 30 blogs that are hosted internationally. And we just have a good time. We talk about all kinds of things. And I take questions. And they tell me what they want to hear me talk about. And I send them a post on it. And for a whole week, we just kind of have an online party. And uh, it, it's worked out really well. It's just kind of a nice way to draw attention to the new books when they come out. But it's right. become, um, you know, it's kind of become an annual event for me uh, as a good way to let people know what's going on and, and just hang out with people I enjoy being with. And you say you do this two times a year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about something I'm very interested in, and that's Gail Z. Martin, the person. 
where did you grow up, and what type of child were you? Were you a conformist, rebellious, or a little bit of both? Well, I grew up in northwestern Pennsylvania, just a little south of Erie. So if you look at the map of Pennsylvania, that little uh, spur that goes up by the lake, um, that was me up there in the snow belt. And um, I'm an only child, uh, so I spent a lot of time reading. Right. And um, I would say that I tried to be a conformist, but it didn't work. So... <laughs> You are a December baby, right? I am a Sagittarius, and I do yes, live so up to that. Yes, so there's no way, no way the Sagis are conforming. I tell you that much. All the Sagittarians I know, they're really conformists. So I can understand that. Yeah, I tried, but it didn't work out too well. So then I kind of <laughs> said, "Well, you know, this is who I am." And uh, I think that early amount of time spent with books is what made me decide there were stories I wanted to read and nobody had written them. So I looked around and said, well, I guess i got to do it. And I started out by writing um, writing stories to amuse my friends. And a lot of it back then, right. you know, this was junior high, high school. A lot of it back then was um, what we now call fan fiction, you know, additional episodes for TV series that got canceled or things like that. And I found out that I could entertain people because my friends started pestering me for more stories. And, uh, <laughs> hey, when are you going to get that one done? And uh, that that kind of kicked it all off. Wow, that, that's great. Now, on your writing habits, and I'm interested about this as a writer myself, do you have a set place and time of day where you're the most creative or can you whip out a pen or electronic device anytime, anywhere, and write? Well, there's what you prefer to do, and then there's sometimes what you have to do if a deadline's looming. Um, so if a deadline's looming, I have written on planes, trains, automobiles, hotel rooms, cruise ships, <laughs> you know, and McDonald's uh, tables. So that's what you have to do. I'm naturally not a morning person so my best time to write is probably between about noon and about eight o'clock in the evening right um and that's for fiction i can do non-fiction earlier in the day it takes a different part of the brain it just works differently okay but uh i try to do more of my administrative stuff like email and social media and things like that in the mornings so that right after lunch i can get into the creative stuff, and uh, that just seems to flow best in the afternoon and early evening. Interesting. Gail, let's talk about the state of books and publishing. I mean, it's been in a flux for so long. There are many outlets and avenues for authors. I'm seeing the young people read actual novels on their iPhones now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's so amazing. And there's so many outlets and avenues for authors today due to the digitization and reorganization of the publishing industry. You seem to have mastered just about every avenue available to authors, ebooks, paper, audio, and such. Was your transition seamless, or did you find the navigation difficult at first? Well, I think it's a constant navigation, and I don't know that anybody has really figured it all out yet. Um, right. Because it, it's constantly changing. So all you can do is kind of try your best to, to hit most of the points. Um, 
I think that traditional publishers overlooked ebooks far too long. Kind of yes. like Kodak cameras thought nobody was ever going to start using those digital cameras because we had such good film. Well, and now Kodak is out of business, right? <laughs> yeah, go try to find a roll of Kodachrome somewhere. Um, and and I think traditional publishers went the Kodak route with ebooks for too long because the the real money maker for most publishing houses are the hardcover books and the trade paperbacks. Right. Um, and that's what their business model is focused on. They don't make the same margin on paperback books, and that's why they come out with the hardbacks first. Um, and I, I think they didn't really figure out how to to transition to an ebook world fast enough, and they're still playing catch up. So, to some extent, there's an element of let's throw this against the wall and see if it works. Oh, that didn't, so let's throw something else. There, there's a, there's some chaos there as people are trying to figure out the new market paradigm. And, of course, authors are all tied up in that because if the publishers don't have it figured out, hey, we just write the books, but increasingly we've had to be much more entrepreneurial than I think prior generations of authors had to be because it's not just show up at the bookstore and smile and sign the books. It's uh, figure out how to connect with readers who have only bought your books digitally and whom you're never going to meet at a bookstore or a live event. Right. Um, find out how to keep connected with people when there are a, truly a million plus new books that come out every year, and that's counting all the, the e-books, the, the traditional right. small yeah. press, the self-pub. Um, how do you stand out in that kind of of cluttered marketplace exactly um, and how do you keep people remembering you in the year it takes for traditional publishers to bring out a new book in a series it it wasn't as complicated a business 25 years ago even 10 years ago as it is right. now and i think we're all kind of making it up as we go and trying to figure out yeah. what works let's talk about what i call Gail, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is social media. I know you're on many of the social media platforms. Is there one or two that you find more engaging and rewarding than others? And which ones would you recommend to new authors? Well, I think Facebook and Twitter are still the big ones. Um, okay. And and it to some extent it depends on the um, the audience that you write for. Um, a lot of, of folks, uh, say 15 to 25, have migrated from Facebook to Instagram and Tumblr uh, because when their moms got on Facebook, they decided they wanted to be somewhere else. Um, but Facebook is still a major meeting place. I yes. find really good results with Twitter. I have some great conversations on Twitter, and I find that when I tweet about things, it gets picked up and echoed and people respond. Right. Um, you know, if if you have always had theatrical ambitions or you're just really a good ham, YouTube might be great for you. But for other people, you know, they they may not want to be in front of a camera. I've seen people do some right. great stuff with YouTube. 
and other people wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm on I'm on Wattpad because um, that tends to skew younger and female, but highly mobile. So those are the folks reading the books on uh, their um, their cell phones. And yeah. I do excerpts out there, and I I do some original novellas out there because if somebody likes my stuff that's on Wattpad, they may, you know, I, I know for a fact that they follow me home to Amazon and, and go buy something there. So um, I think part of it, I always tell folks, start with Facebook and Twitter and then think about what you personally really enjoy and find the social media platform that caters to that, whether that's Pinterest or YouTube or, you know, Instagram or Tumblr. Find out what you enjoy doing and then do more of it. Yeah, a high school student who um, really loved one of my books, Street Angel, uh, told me she had a story on Wattpad. And Mm -hmm. that just opened up a whole new, you know, I I checked Wattpad Wattpad out and I said, wow, look at this. It's like for quick, quick instant gratification, uh, quick hits. And uh, there's a lot of people on there doing some good things. So I'm going to look into that a little more. Um, in closing, and this this half an hour went by so quickly, Gail. In closing, a hypothetical question: Gail Z. Martin is just starting out today and wants to get her first story published. What, if anything, would you do different now than when you did when you first started out, or would you do anything different? You know, I think I I would have taken the leap to get the agent and go for the publisher maybe a little sooner than I did. But that's hard to say because I was working on it all along. But, you know, job, kids, move, you know, house, life gets in the way. So, you know, I don't know that I'd do anything differently. Um, It's just you got to do what you love and keep on doing it. And just keep on doing it some more. And that's exactly my advice. Find something you love and do it. Um, Gail, if somebody wants to contact you, you mentioned you're on Twitter and and all of that. Give out any contact information that you'd like to give out. Sure. Uh, The the main website is ascendantkingdoms.com. And if that's too hard, just go to gailzmartin.com and it'll it'll send you there. I'm Gail Z. Martin on Twitter, and I'm Gail Z. Martin on Wattpad and Goodreads. You're seeing a trend here, right? <laughs> and on Definitely. Facebook, and on Facebook, I'm the Winter Kingdoms. So I'm I'm pretty easy to find. What does the Z stand for? Uh, the Z is for my maiden name, which is Zayner. Okay. I thought maybe it would be Zora or something like that, you know, after that great author, Zora Neale Hurston. My guest has been the prolific author, Gail Z. Martin, and this has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. You can find my ebooks on Smashwords.com and my novels on Amazon. Look for my new novel, Naked in the Jungle, coming in the fall of this year, 2015. Gail's latest book is called War of Shadows. Thank you so much, Gail, for being a guest on the Funky Writer Show. <laughs>